Inspiration Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. The question is, was Mount Hermon one of these palaces of Messiah? Because we know Yeshua takes them up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Right? Is this one of the palaces of Zion? Does the Garden of Eden stretch far beyond in this realm, just that little space above the Temple Mount? And I believe it does. I believe it stretches all the way to the natural borders from the Euphrates to the brook of Egypt. Now, how do we com compare spiritual space to natural space? I don't know, but I think somehow that's true. That's why the, the parallels are put there. But the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and it may or may not be Mount Hermon, but we're going to look at some reasons maybe it could be. Maybe they realize they've been shown one of these palaces of Zion where he will make himself known. And for that reason, maybe they thought they should build Sukkot. Remember, they saw Moses, Elijah, and then Yeshua. And then Moses and Elijah fade away, and it's just Yeshua. And they say, how about we build three Sukkot? But this can connect Hermon as one of the palaces to the gathering into Sukkot of glory. Remember the Israelites entered into Sukkot of glory or clouds of glory when they left Egypt. Their first stop there was Sukkot. They entered into the cloud and they walked in the cloud until they crossed into the promised land. And so if Messiah returns from the north, that is from the hidden palace, what did he do on that mountain? He made himself known to them. He revealed himself to them. And then you hear this voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And what's incredible about Mount Hermon, it's going to be the one location in Israel that dependably produces snow. It's the, it's the place in Israel where you can go snow skiing in the winter. Not that I'm volunteering to do that. What may have been happening here? Maybe Yeshua was showing them his hiding place, that he knew there was a coming exile, another exile, and he wanted to reveal to them his palace, or one of his palaces, a place with storehouses of snow for this coming day of judgment for the nations. Now, does this mean there's literally a palace on Mount Hermon? I don't know. But what he could be showing them on Mount Hermon, this high mountain, was the snow itself. Because the snow is a symbol of judgment, not just of purity. For the righteous, it's purity. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. But for the wicked, it represents judgment. And so he has reserved storehouses of snow for the coming day of judgment for the nations, not just, you know, the pseudo-Israelites, like the elders of Sukkot, who needed to be disciplined with thorns, 
but also among the nations. We know also that Sukkot is the Feast of the Nations. So when the disciples offer to build Sukkot there on the mountain, maybe this is what they're seeing, that these storehouses of snow are being reserved against this day of judgment on the nations. And at that time, we know that the nations will either feast with Yeshua in his tabernacle on that evil day, or they will be the feast of unclean birds. That's what Revelation tells us. And so the thing is, it doesn't matter who you are. You will all be known. We will all be known. We will either be known as residents of this divine sukkah, or we will be like the elders of Sukkot. We will be known with thorns and briars of judgment, not the place we want to be, right? Again, going back to Gideon as showing us a prophecy of this process set at the time of Passover. If you remember Gideon or Gidon, he was from the tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh in Hebrew. In 1 Chronicles 5.22, it tells us where the half-tribe of Manasseh lived. It tells you how far the Amalekites could roam. They were all the way down in the wilderness when they came out of Egypt. Now they're up here in the north in the tribe of Manasseh. They end up, of course, in Persia. An Amalekite can be anywhere because it's not a people group. It's a thing that attaches itself to a people. At any rate, it tells us many fell slain because the war was of God, and they settled in their place until the exile. Now the sons of the half-tribe of Manasseh, of Manasseh, lived in the land from Bashan to Baal Hermon and Sinir and Mount Hermon. They were numerous. Okay, so they, they lived around the area of Mount Hermon. What is Gideon showing us in this battle? that there is something of his battle in this territory that can tell us about the coming of Messiah and the secret place of Messiah. And, and I took a little something out of Keisha Gallagher's Becky book on the biblical new moon. As you know, each of the 12 months was associated with a certain tribe of Israel. And Cheshvan is the month that's associated with the tribe of Manasseh. And here's what she writes about the month of Cheshvan, you know, the, the month of Manasseh. She says, there are no biblical or traditional feast days during the month of Cheshvan. Tradition teaches that it is reserved for the time of Mashiach, the time of Messiah, who will inaugurate the third temple during the month of Cheshvan. Isn't that cool? Talk about the, I will secret you in the secret and he will hide me. And we've got this month here. There's nothing going on in this month, but they say, hey, it's not that nothing's going on. It's just got a little reserve sign on it for the Messiah. There's a little secret here. He's hiding in the north. He's secreted in the secret until he comes and lifts up our heads into the secret. But you know what? You can already live in the secret. If you know the times of the feasts, then you can live in that secret already and be prepared when you hear that shofar lifting you up into that cloud. So here's a picture of Mount Hermon. Is this one of the palaces or was this just simply an object lesson? We won't know for sure because we weren't there and the gospels don't really tell us. They just say it was a high mountain. But here's how we know that snow can symbol judgment. In Job 38.22, it says, have you entered the storehouses of snow? And have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for a time of distress, for a day of war and battle? 
he's saving this snow and hail for the day of evil. What will be salvation and redemption for those who know him, it will be very different for the wicked. It will be very different for those who just couldn't choose a side, who who wanted to be lukewarm. And so taking them to Mount Hermon to show them the snow might have been very significant. And so maybe the disciples are thinking these verses. We say, wait a minute, he's going to lift lift us up and make himself known in his palace. So if we see the snow, it's time for the judgment on the nations. And he says, no, but I'm letting you see into a realm here so that that you can put these things together. And because they could put them together and they thought, oh, real Sukkot. But you know what? They didn't need to literally build Sukkot there. They just needed to do and to teach Sukkot to others, to prepare them so that they wouldn't be subject to the snow and the hail reserved for the tribulation reserve the day of evil. It's just so ironic that we're studying this. And today, that's exactly what we had here at our house. We had the rain, we had the snow, we had the sleet, we had the snow again, we had the rain, and now we've got sunshine. (laughs) We've had it all in one day. So it really brought it home here in, in Kentucky for us. Um, But if we link this over to Revelation, we can see that the the torments and the afflictions in the book of Revelation do include pestilence and painful boils. So the comparison of snow to the judgment of leprosy, that's not random. Because if you'll remember, the, the leprosy in the beard, it even says for a man or a woman, I'm like, wow, I'd like to see this woman. But it's less, it's telling you that the beard, whether you're male or female, it's just outlining the mouth. It's showing you where the problem is. Because this particular type of leprosy, sarat of the beard, it typically comes from pride and evil speech. So remember, it talks about until the yafuach of the day, until the cool of the day, until the the blowing of the fire of judgment for the day uh, when Messiah will begin to judge these things. It looks as though he's going to start seeking out pride and those proud speaking sins of the world being judged. Because remember, that was one of the meanings of Yefuach. It was the telling. It was the speaking. There's sins of speaking that are about to be judged as this hurried part of the day. So I'm I'm giving you three examples here of how either pride or evil speech called Lashan Hara will make you as leprous as snow. Exodus 4, 6. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand inside the fold of your robe. He put his hand inside the fold and when he took it, Out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. The leprosy is like snow. It's a judgment. Numbers 12.10, and this is important. When the cloud had withdrawn from above the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. 
as Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. What happened? The cloud withdrew. It pulled back up. And Miriam, who has just uh, unfavorably compared herself to her brother, she and Aaron both, but apparently Aaron couldn't be judged because he was the functioning high priest. Um, but the pride is exposed and the evil speech is exposed. And so when the cloud withdraws, when it pulls back up, what do you think is going to happen in Revelation? When the righteous go into the cloud, when they are secreted in the secret of Sukkot, it's going to reveal those who are too proud to repent and those who have evil speech. 2 Kings 5.27, this is going to be pride and also Lashon Harah. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman, who was an Aramean. Remember Ram, the high elevated thing? The leprosy of pride shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, afflicted with leprosy, as white as snow. So you see how the tsara'at, the leprosy, and the metzora, the leper who is as white as snow, the idea here, it's, it starts with pride, and then you'll, you'll start to say things. Just like Gehazi, he did not really tell the truth. When Elisha says, what have you been doing? He's like, nothing. Well, yeah, he was doing something. Right. So the judgment, white as snow. You're going to have this affliction of tsarat. And in fact, the root of metzora, the leper, and Sarat, the affliction of leprosy, it's Tsara, Sadi, Resh, Ain. It's almost identical. In fact, the, the Tsila, remember, the Tsila is a hell bug. It comes out of the abyss. It comes out of Abaddon in the book of Revelation, but you already read about it over in the Torah. It's a supernatural bug. It's not a normal bug. That's why they can't decide if it's a locust, if it's a hornet, if it's a wasp, if it's a scorpion. What is it? It's a supernatural bug called the tzila. All you do is take tzila, the root of leprosy, affliction, and you add a he, which just simply denotes a feminine form of it, right? And so this tzila, this hell bug, is what Moses and Joshua used to drive out the enemies of Israel. What is Adonai doing when he strikes someone with tzalat? It's like the hell bug of revelation. It's going to drive them out of the camp until they repent. So this same bug that comes out of Abaddon and revelation, it's given permission to torment humankind until they repent. They don't, it's a, a five months. And so the sting of the tzila, first it'll cause confusion and blindness. Just like remember the, the sodomites, they couldn't find the door to Lot's house, even though, I mean, how could you go all night and not find the door to Lot's house? If you were totally blind, five minutes should have been sufficient for them to just feel their way around and find the door. That tells you it's a supernatural blindness and confusion. This is what the tzila does. 
just like the affliction is a supernatural affliction. It's not a natural disease. So first it confuses and blinds you. You have a hard time understanding things. And then it will torment you and destroy you by cutting off root and fruit. In, in other words, it'll prevent you from reproducing. What do you do when you see weeds? Well, you don't just whack the weed. You take a tool and you dig down into the soil until you get all the root out of there so that it won't reproduce more weeds. So as, as we read in Revelation, we saw that there were people who inhabited high places. Remember the mountains of the nations. And when they see that the judgment has come, and it's a supernatural judgment, it's not a natural judgment. It says they hid in caves. Um, they asked the mountains and the rocks to fall on them. Instead of building their house on a rock, now they realize they made a mistake. They didn't go all in. Now they're like the elders of Sukkot. Because see, at Sukkot, it should be all about hospitality and sharing and joy. And instead, they didn't want to risk what they thought was joy for true joy. They thought they found a God-free zone, right? That he wasn't noticing their aloofness. That they were kind of hiding themselves among other Israelites, but they weren't Israelites in their hearts. And that's what Moses says, beware lest there be one standing among you who blesses himself in his heart. And he's saying that none of these curses will come upon me if I disobey. These are the same types of people. They have an identity with Yeshua. But they have stood there and blessed themselves in their hearts and says, he won't judge me for my behavior. Nothing bad's going to happen to me. So they thought the Holy One somehow didn't see their sins, but instead, this sila, this affliction, just like leprosy sought out the afflicted one, so the sila is going to seek out those who have stood aloof in the book of Revelation. If you want to know more about this hell bug of the abyss, go back through the, the videos uh, on YouTube and you'll find. Uh, a program called Don't You Know Egypt is Abaddon, Bugs of the Abyss. And I'll lay all the scriptures out there for you so you can understand how this bug uh, popped up in Egypt, how it helped Moses, how it helped Joshua, and in the book of Revelation, how the Holy One is going to dispatch these bugs in order to accomplish its purposes. But just in brief, Revelation 9.10 says they have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. So they're even called scorpions because it's so impossible to really describe what they are in human terms. They can fly, they can sting, they look like horses, they look like locusts. Um, but you definitely don't want to get stung by one just as you wouldn't want to be afflicted by tzalat or leprosy. It's a supernatural affliction, right? Um, so 
the premise here, if he's going to secret us in the secret on the day of evil, then part of that secret is engaging him with his feasts from Passover to Sukkot. And those will be divinely concealed. But for those who have hidden from his presence, remember they're going to, to cry out to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us, conceal us from the presence. They don't want the wrath of the lamb to confront them. The same way that the, the men of Sukkot didn't want Gideon to confront them when he returned. You didn't want to help me on the day of battle? Then who's going to help you? Right? So one of the places uh, that describe this bug is Deuteronomy 7.20. And um, it is also referenced, let me make sure this is right here, in Exodus 23, 28, both places, Deuteronomy 7, 20 and Exodus 23, 28. And then the prophet Amos or Amos references them, right? Um, the Art Scroll version of Deuteronomy 7, 20 says also that Tzila, will Hashem your God send among them until the survivors and hidden ones perish before you? Remember, there's two kinds of hidden ones. There's those who are divinely concealed. They are secreted in the secret of the sukkah. I like that. Secreted in the secret of the sukkah. Just try saying that seven times fast. But these hidden ones, uh, these are those who have tried to hide from Adonai. These are the ones who have stood right there side by side with others and yet somehow in their hearts didn't think they would ever be held accountable. And so this hidden pride of the heart, these hidden ones, he says, I'm going to send the bug. You're not necessarily going to know who these people are. So I'm going to supernaturally separate them from you. He says, they will perish before you. This is how you will know who they are. Otherwise, you may not know. But in a day of trouble, right? Tzara, hear the play on word there? Tzara, tribulation. In a day of tribulation, he's going to send the tzila, this hell bug, to torment them until basically you're going to know who they are. They will perish before you. Now, when Amos talks about them, in 2.9, he says, yet I destroyed the Amorites before them. And uh, by the way, the Amorites up here were the Mount Hermon. Uh, this is also another hangout for the Amorites. Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them, whose height was like the height of cedars, and they were as strong as oaks. Yet I destroyed their fruit from above and their roots from beneath. And so the, the rabbis say, because the Amorites are compared to trees, that it's it's a the trees help us understand how humans are destroyed. So in Revelation, a third of the trees are destroyed. Okay, trees are the equivalent of human beings. Which human beings? Well, in some cases, just because you die doesn't mean that you're an Amorite and he's destroying you with a hell bug. It doesn't mean that. But there will come a time when he has concealed his own 
that he will expose the hidden ones and uh, these trees, again, being destroyed, it is because they have been uh, proud, like cedars. Cedars represented something strong and proud. Oaks represented something strong. But he says, nevertheless, these tzilah bugs, they will destroy the fruit from above and their roots beneath. Right? He's basically going to uproot them. And you could see why that's a torment, right? Because they knew to do good. They knew what to do. And on the exterior, maybe they pulled it off. Maybe we thought they were just like us. But what happens is he says, I'm going to show you who they were. They're going to perish before you. I will destroy their fruit and their root. And so let's go back to Psalm 27, verse 6. Uh, it says, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Right. So where he says, and now it's ata, which it's not the pronoun you, like it sounds like it's spelled differently. And now ata at this specified time. My head, Roshi, will be lifted up, Yarum. Here the Ram in that will be lifted up above my enemies around me, Savivotai. They're encircling me until he lifts us up into the cloud. And what's that going to do? It's going to expose them. Just like Miriam, she had to repent of pride and evil speech because when the cloud lifted up, it exposed her. He says, and I will offer sacrifices in his tent, ahalo. Which tent? The tent of meeting, ohel moed. With shouts of joy, teruah of joy. So I look forward to the sound of the shofar. And he says, I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. What sacrifices will you offer? The sacrifices of praise, right? So. I kind of put this into my own words. This is not scripture, but just taking all these word clues and context clues. I put it into my own words. And I think you could do the same. I think you could take that understanding of that verse and some of the Hebrew hints, and you could write a paragraph just like this. What does this mean to you? What does it mean to be secreted in the secret? So here's what I wrote. I said, at the specified time and season, my head will be lifted up into the secret cloud for judgment on Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, the head of the change, a time of the turn of the year, as the Moedim cycle around like the rivers of Eden. My beloved will turn from judgment, and I will be judged from the mercy seat and will offer sacrifices of praise in his Ohel Moed, the tent of the feast with a shofar sound of joy while he judges the enemies turning below me around the tent. And, and so you can see why so much of the understanding about the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, they turn to the Psalms. Because if, if you read it in Hebrew, you get way more hints. It, it starts to make way more sense contextually.
right? So if we keep reading, if we keep reading in Psalm 27, we're going to get another gem here. In Psalm 27, 10, it says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. All right. Again, the translation doesn't help you too much because it sounds like my father and my mother have forsaken me, like they ditched me or they disowned me. It's not what it means. It just means departed from. My father and my mother have departed from me, but the Lord will take me up. Okay, so everybody's father and mother, unless you die first, your father and mother will depart from you. But at the resurrection, the Lord will take you up. Where it says, take me up, that Hebrew word, there's asaf. Remember, that's the root of Yosef, Joseph. And it's also the feast of asaf, another way of saying the feast of Sukkot. The Lord will take you up. He will gather you up at the feast of Sukkot. When did the gathering begin? The gathering began at the Feast of Trumpets. But did it? Maybe, remember the palm branches? Maybe it really began at Passover. This might be the Passover. That's what you have to tell yourself every year. That's the commandment. This could be the Passover where this happened to me. When I came out of Egypt, when I was lifted up into the cloud, maybe there's a preliminary rising into the cloud at Pesach, at Passover. And you walk and you walk and you walk and he's going to do some things with you. But maybe you'll actually be walking in a place of secret, in a place of concealment. If you enter into his Passover, he might be, you may not even be aware of it, but your shoes won't wear out. <laughs> That was one of the signs. They're not exactly walking with their feet on the ground, right? It might have, they might have thought they were, they were acting like they were. But the truth is, he was carrying them in the cloud. He says, Remember, I carried you on eagle's wings. Your feet weren't touching the ground. There's a secret in the secret of the feasts, right? And that's what Joseph's name means. It means he will add or he will gather. Both are true of the righteous. At the appointed times, Joseph, Esther, they were both orphans. But what do they do? They're able to gather their family in the day of evil and to be part of that, that secreting of the secret and protecting them. And this is what the Holy One does for us. He gathers us to himself in the tent of the Moed, the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting where mercy reigns in the cloud. So just like he didn't leave Joseph as an orphan, just like he didn't leave Queen Esther as an orphan, Yeshua said, I will not leave you as an orphan. This is one of the most beautiful passages of scripture in John 14, 18. Yeshua says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. After a little while, the world no longer is going to see me, but you are going to see me. Remember Elisha's servant? Elisha had to say, open his eyes so he can see. We're not orphans here. And this is what Yeshua is promising us. The world's not going to be able to see him. He will secret us in the secret where we can see him. He says, because I live, you also will live. On that day, 
you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Talk about secreted in the secret. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what has happened that you are going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Yeshua answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will follow my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Remember the cloud? So shall we ever be with the Lord. Remember the indwelling presence of the tent of meeting? He made his dwelling with them. He says, the one who does not love me does not follow my words. And the one which you hear, the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Right? So if you don't love him, he says, don't follow my words, but I won't know you. But remember, knowing in the positive sense is that familiarity because the father has taught the son. Remember the Passover Seder, you shall teach your son in that day. This is what happened to me. Well, Yeshua says, I'm in the Father. The Father teaches me, and I teach you, and you are in me, and therefore you are in the Father. If you will follow my word, then you are following the Father's word. Then he will know you. Just like he says, I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah because I've known him, and he will teach his children. Right here, he's telling us a secret of the secret. And he uses it here um, twice, this, this Shoresh Ram, to be, uh, to be elevated in Psalm 27, 5 and 6. The, the phrases are, he sets me up on a rock. He sets me up on a rock. Yeromameni, Yeromameni. Hear Ram in that? Because, see, that's the only true high place. People were always trying to worship on the high places. You, There is no real high place when you worship what you want to worship. See, if you're hanging on to Sodom with one hand and hanging on to the angel with the other, you're going to have issues. It's going to be hard for him to set you up on a rock. It's going to be hard for him to lift you up above your enemies. Got to let go of one. And the other phrase is, he will lift my head above my enemies. Yarum, yarum. So what you're going to hear there is something that didn't exist yet. I don't know if you heard it. Ram, yaromameni, yarum. Right? Um, and, of course, yarum is going to be a future tense. Rome, Rome, what do you hear? Rome, you hear the last beast kingdom. It didn't even exist at the time that this psalm was written. Rome, remember the four kingdoms of the beast? You've got Babylon, you've got uh, the Medes and the Persians, 
you've got Greece, and then you've got the final beast kingdom, which is Rome, the iron legs. And then Rome doesn't go away. Even though the ruler of this world, Yeshua called Rome, uh, as a representative, this red beast of Rome, it had daughters. It had the daughters of Rome represented by the mingled feet and the toes of clay and iron. And so the beast is still with us. Rome is still with us. Rome wanted to rule the world. Yeshua calls him the ruler of the world. He says, now I've got to go deal with the ruler of the world. But because he dealt with the ruler of the world, now he can set us up on a rock and lift our head above our enemies. We will prevail over Rome. We will prevail over the red beast. And so what you're hearing is that lifted up place. You can hear the rock that Yeshua talked about. Build your house on the rock. Obey my word. So when the storms come, that rock's not going to move. You'll still be in that elevated place. He can lift you up now. You can have a preliminary rising now if you build your house on the rock, if you love him and keep his word. And But you also hear a beast kingdom that had not yet arisen, but which would, and it would arise and lift itself above the temple, and it would lift itself above Israel. It would lift itself above the Jewish people of the first century, Rome. So even though this red beast called Rome did destroy the daily sacrifice, it can never destroy the sacrifices in the highest place, which is that kingdom just above Mount Sion. There are palaces there where he reveals himself, and he is going to lift us up on a rock. He is going to lift up our head above our enemies. He's going to lift us into the cloud. He's going to judge us from a mercy seat, and we will offer sacrifices of praise in that place. So you can understand why we hear the teruah, even though there is the sound of battle below. It's a signal that our battle's over. Because we have known him in the fellowship of his suffering. Because it's cost us something to obey him. The battle's over. It's a shout of praise. It's a shout of joy. What's, the, what's that old uh, song? Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous of the Lord. That's a lot of joy. That's a lot of joy. And so um, next week, we'll try to we'll not, no, that's wrong. Next week, remember, uh, we'll be going to Jacob's tent to celebrate Passover there with Bill Cloud and Paul Wilbur. I know the Seder is sold out, but uh, the rest of the conference is not. Uh, so um, you can go to our Facebook page or MeWe or I think it's somewhere else too, uh, the newsletter. And you can read more about it. You can register. It's it's free. So you can just walk in. But I think they still need kind of a head count to know what to prepare for. Um, but we look forward 
not just to next week, where I'm hoping to describe the hours of Yeshua uh, in this day of trouble, but um, when we come back the following week, then we will add to this final beast kingdom. What do we know about Rome? Uh, we know that Rome is going to teach us about the fullness of the Gentiles. And we know that once the fullness of the Gentiles, once they have been rewarded, and I'll explain to you why they need to be rewarded, we'll go through that um, so we can recognize that, that when Rome has run its course, when, when the red beast has run its course, um, then we can lift up our heads because we know that our redemption is really, really close. If you say, why are the wicked prospering right now? They're actually being rewarded because that's the only reward they're going to have. That reward, there, there's nothing they can drag into the kingdom behind them, right? Your, your deeds follow after you in the kingdom. So if you've done good things, you're not going to be able to shut them up. Right? The commandments that you have kept because you loved Yeshua, they're going to be trailing along behind you. And they're going to be speaking how much you loved Yeshua. Even though it's, sometimes it caused conflict with your family, with your friends, what you would rather do at this moment, how you struggled sometimes to do things when you were tired, when you were weary, when you were fatigued, when you didn't think you could Take one more minute, and you did. You took one more minute. You did one more thing. You took one more step. You made one more prayer. You interceded one more time. You fasted and you prayed and you acted like you hadn't. You came out with a happy face when you weren't feeling it, right? Like Queen Esther. She came out of three days and three nights of fasting and prayer and looked like a queen. So if we'll keep that on our our minds and our hearts, when we go before the king, we won't be dragging into the cloud looking like we've been beat up, whipped up on, you know, trampled in the ground. Instead, we're going to enter in like queens. Guys, you just have to kind of figure out how that's going to be. But You're going to be royalty, right? Because that's what Yeshua said. The Father taught me. I taught you, you're in me, I'm in the Father. You're royalty, you're children of the King. So when you go out and when you set out this week, this is Shabbat Haggadol. Uh, it's a, it's a life-changing Shabbat. Because it, it's going to book in, this is Shabbat Haggadol, right before Pesach, right? Uh, and then you're going to have Shabbat Shuvah. Right with the fall feasts, so that that kind of tells you I've got this space of time um, to work on repentance where I need to, to work on joy in the commandments where I need to. Right, that they're not a drag. The commandments are not a drag. I'm not counting the minutes till Shabbat's over. Well, sometimes we are because we want to make sure we're not doing something too soon. <laughs> it's not like that. But it's not like you're just, oh, man, I wish it wasn't Shabbat so I could go do this, this, and this. And you say, no, you count it joy that you have this space of time. He changes the way you think 
He changes our hearts, but we just have to trust him that he's going to secret us in the secret of his tent, his tabernacle, because this is what the tabernacle did for us. It, it pulled all Israel together at the feast. Not everybody had a sacrifice every day, right? The Tamid offering kind of fulfilled that need because those were offered up twice a day. But when was everybody expected to be there? Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. It was for us to engage with one another. And when we engage with one another, that's how we engage with the Holy One. Because what does he do? He gathers. What's the goal? The Feast of Sukkot. It means the ingathering. What do you do at Passover? You can't eat the lamb by yourself. I'm sorry, sweetie. I don't care how good your appetite is. You're not going to eat a whole lamb. So you're, you're going to share that meal with probably up to 50 people sometimes. And the roles for the, the Passover lamb in temple times, it was typically around 50 people who registered to share one lamb because you only had to eat you know, the size of an olive. Uh, it wasn't a matter of how much you could stuff in your mouth. It was a matter of having a bite to share that lamb. That was the whole goal, to share the lamb. He's always building our sense of identity with one another. Same thing at Shavuot. You all stood at the mountain, not by yourself. You all, you stood, you said, we will do, we will hear. He ingathers you at Sukkot. So which part of the feast do we misunderstand and think we can engage all by ourselves? Can't. Not really. So as you learn more, you can do more, right? If you're just now learning, don't panic. It's all right, right? See, if, if he hurries up the time, if he shortens the days for the sake of the elect, then I think he can probably also shorten the days it's going to take you to understand what's going on. But until that time that you feel like you've got a handle on it, and, and trust me, the more you learn about them, the less you realize you do have a handle because you don't. There's so much you learn every, every year. You think, oh, how did I miss that? How did I miss that? It's not a, a place where you can say, I've arrived. It's a place you continue to arrive year after year. So don't despair. Don't feel like you're, you're trying to play catch up. He can speed up the learning process for you. Uh, you just stay before him in that secret place. Don't do what you're doing to be seen of others. But trust me, you will be noticed. You can't come out of that closet and the glow of the spirit. People cannot fail to notice that glow on you that you've been before him, uh, that you didn't do what you did to be observed by others. That's what Yeshua said in the, in the secret, secret chapter. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, and that's the thing with the people. He says, I, I never knew you. He's saying there's a difference between people who heal because that's a ministry they're just being Yeshua's hands. They don't want any glory. They don't want any recognition. 
They just have a heart of compassion and, and they heal if he gives them that gift. But others, they might have the gift, but they do it to be seen. They do it to be admired. They might be people who have a gift of prophecy, but they're not doing it because it's a burden. You know, prophecy in Hebrew, one of the words for it is a burden. He lifted up his burden. It's not a burden that they carry through suffering. Instead, it's it's a, a thing that they lift up in order to lift up themselves to be seen and heard and observed. Casting out demons. We got the, the example there, the seven sons of Sceva. You know what? The devils will say, you know what, Yeshua, I know. I heard about Paul, but who are you? But the most scary thing would be as if they appeared to obey. So I'll play this game. We can deceive more people. We'll go out for a while. <laughs> I don't know what demons say to one another. Let's go out for a drink or something. I don't know. But you could cast out a demon in his name to be observed, to be seen, to be admired. But if you didn't do it because you were having compassion on that person and wanted to say, this is what Yeshua taught me. Now I want to help you. See, Yeshua can, he knows, just like that, the tsarat, the leprosy, the snowy judgment. It was because divinely he knew what was in that person's heart, that they were hidden from us. We didn't notice. But now we can't fail to notice because they're leprous like snow. Right? So he will know if we do what we do for his sake and humility, or if we do what we do to be seen, to work on our self-esteem for whatever reason. Because when that cloud lifts, if we're covered in snow of judgment, the world will know, will no longer be a hidden one. And that would where we would say, oh, Rocks fall on me, mountains fall on me and conceal me from the presence of him. And I knew better. I knew better. And I didn't do better. But that's not us, right? He is hiding us in the secret of the secret. So lift up your heads when you hear the shofar. And he's not far. He's not far at all. You're already building on that rock, right? One day he'll open your eyes and realize he'll, you'll understand what you've built on. And you'll understand um, the reward of faith. When you believed it, and maybe nobody else around you did, but you believed and you loved Yeshua. So be encouraged in that as we get close to Passover and we enter into this season of feast, be encouraged. You don't know what Passover might lift you right up into that cloud, right? We do have a couple of online classes. We have a Monday night class and we have a Tuesday at 1230 Eastern class, but you get the recordings for both classes if you sign up. So you can either attend on Zoom live or you can just get the recordings by email or on the Shabbat live streams, you're getting the Reader's Digest condensed version and it's free. Uh, so it's just a matter of how deep you want to study. If, if you just kind of like, yeah, just only have time for the highlights, then just keep going back through the live stream uh, YouTube 
videos. If you're interested in that deeper study, um, you just need to email me. You can go to our website, www.thecreationgospel.com, and click on the contact thing and email me and let me know that you're interested and I can send you the information on the live classes. I don't advertise it a lot, usually only a couple times a year, because I feel like my students are my best recruiters. They kind of know not everybody can learn from everybody, you know, uh, and they kind of know my style of teaching. And if it's somebody they know, they kind of know if it'll be a good fit. But if that does interest you, then you can just email me and I'll, I'll send you the information on it. For some people, they feel like it's deep water. And for some people, they feel like, finally, you know, <laughs> um, it's, it's getting deep where I want to be instead of just splashing around in the shallow end. But I, I think no matter what, you can find something that'll, that'll edify you, benefit you, and give you at least one thing uh, each week that will, you know, adorn the commandments in your life. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.